0: Okay, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I am your host, B-Magic. I got my brother, Noise,
1: with me. And we're doing things a little differently this time. Yes, yes. Yeah, typically we like to create uh, a bit of a a homely vibe. We like to invite people into Gumball Studios and, you know, embrace the luxuriousness of of the Gumballs as they are. But, you know, given global circumstances right now, we're unable to do so. Uh, but we're, we're making do the, as best as we can. We're, we're adapting on the fly. And I guess one of the good things about uh, you know, pivoting and putting the podcast uh, as a virtual platform now and being unable to meet people in person is that it's kind of opened us up to be able to connect with people that are out of town. And typically, we'd wait for out-of-town folks to come to Brampton or come to Toronto, and then we'd interview them then. But now we've had the opportunity to connect with folks that are far from home. And that's exactly what we got today. So our guest today is a multi-talented person, a published author, a poet, an illustrator, a teacher, a workshop facilitator. Might have left out a couple of things, but she does a lot of great things. Uh, so please welcome to the show, Jasmine Gore.
2: Hi, guys.
1: Yeah, no, we we wanted to have you on for a while. I know even last year when you were in town, like we, we tried to to make it happen, but the scheduling just didn't work. But yeah, I guess. You know, now we now is a, a, just as good as any as an opportunity to make it happen. So, thanks for agreeing to to come on the show and making the time. Yes. Okay, cool. So we're just gonna jump right into it. So you are on the west coast. You are in BC. Uh, can you talk a little bit about as far as how your family first got to be, the BC area and where they migrated from?
2: Yeah. So my parents, um, like both my parents, came from Punjab to Canada when they were like five years old so like think like very late 60s early 70s um so they have been here for a while I know that my my babaji came first um he did like labor jobs I think he was like working um maybe in like a lumber type position um but it was like just like really tough grueling like labor work and then um, he was able to like eventually sponsor um, my baby and um, my Thaya to come over, and I think my dad was born at the time, so like he came over and he was like five years old. Um, and then from there, like they, they were always in Abbotsford, and then my mom and her family came over around the same time, but they were in Surrey and Langley. So Surrey, I, at the time, it was not a very like Punjabi place. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like a little bit better than Abbotsford but like my my mom went to school with like just white people um so that was like if you if you come to Surrey now um it feels like a space where like you as a Punjabi are welcome i think at that time it definitely was not my mom went to school in Surrey and she was talking about how like the racism was there but it was way worse when she moved, like, just out of Surrey to Langley, which is, like, just, like, a very, like, white area just outside of the city. Um, and in both places, like, you know, they would get called, you know, Hindu and Paki and all sorts of stuff, like, going to school. But, like, in Langley, it was just, like, horrible. Um, you know, people would, like, you know, shout things at my non ji. Little kids, not just, like, adults, like, kids at, like, my my mom's school as, like, an uh, as an elementary school, like, kids there would, like, just, like, cuss at Punjabi elders and things like that. So, like, they, I think a lot of, like, my parents' story, like, has to do with those experiences, like, growing up in a very different version of BC than the one that we get to experience today.
1: That, that's interesting, too, because, like, with Toronto and the, the greater Toronto area, the Punjabi or the Sikh community hasn't really been here all that long, comparatively, relative to yeah. the West Coast. So it, that's interesting to me that, you know, even after, you know, 60, 70 years of our people being in that area, like in Vancouver, Abbotsford, Surrey, like there was still racism to that degree. I
0: feel yeah. like it, it might be a thing of like, uh, like, because they have been there so much longer where, when racial tensions were bigger within the whole world. I feel like yeah. because that tension has been through generations of people, it still lingers there. Whereas we're still kind of fresh here in a greater racial, I guess, time. So I feel like we we haven't seen it as ev- the evident racism as they have for such a long time in uh, in BC.
2: When I think about like how my mom was describing, like just like the ex- like, the overt and extreme racism, it was like it was. St- very strange because like my experience growing up and going to school here in Abbotsford was at a public school where every single kid is Punjabi so like I had a very very different experience (laughs) but there was like still a lot of hatred was like Punjabis hating on Punjabis so like I couldn't even like I couldn't even wrap my head around the thought of like being the only Punjabi kid at school Um, and just having like everyone like look at you differently um, treat you like you're just like you don't belong there so I've heard all these stories about how you know um, my parents were like cussed at um, by kids at school like I know that like you know some of the the men in my family have like got, would have gotten into like fist fights at school with like white kids picking on them um, you know getting their distada knocked off all sorts of stuff like that and I think about like how different my experience was um, growing up in the same community or similar communities. Um, but after there was this huge influx of immigrants into the area. So um, the neighborhood I live in is almost complete Punjabi. Um, and when we first moved here, it was there were a lot more white people. Um, but in like a very like racist kind of movement, like a lot of white people who lived in this area realized that Punjabis were moving in. So they moved out. To just like avoid being around us, okay.
1: Um,
0: like, yeah. uh, Brampton's very similar. Like, there was a, a very big population of Italians and Portuguese before, and now it, it, there still is. Like, don't get me wrong, like, I, I feel like Surrey is a little bit more brown than us, but yeah. uh, but uh, we're starting to see the, the trickle effect uh, here as well,
2: yeah. It's and I, I just like vividly remember like how when. A guarduara was being built in our neighborhood like years ago. There were all these white people who would like write into the newspaper and like go to these town hall meetings saying, you know, there shouldn't be a guarduara in this neighborhood because it's going to affect our properties and like this and that and all these like really weird reasons. Um, which it was just very interesting because like at the time there was I think two guarduara in Abbotsford and at least 20 churches in Abbotsford. <laughs> so like wow. it was just they were just like mad that we existed. So like when the guarduara got built, I think that. There was like more of a um an influx of Punjabis into the area um and subsequently white people moved out so like if you come to Abbotsford now like there is you know the Punjabi end of town and then there's like the white end of town it's very weird um and it kind of just it's it is what it is and it's like I've grown up in this neighborhood and it's the place where I feel the most comfortable and welcome in Abbotsford um and this is like a city where there's a huge Punjabi population, but you still experience racism. Um, so, you know, when I went to school though, like I went to school in this neighborhood, um, almost everyone at my school was Punjabi. Almost all the teachers though, were all white. So I think that was like an interesting dynamic where mm-hmm. you have a bunch of white teachers teaching Punjabi children. Um, so the racism that I experienced was not from students. It was from, it was from the people that were teaching us, the adults in the situation. Um, nowhere near obviously like you know the kind of stuff that my parents went through but like i remember in the fifth grade this one teacher that we had was like so racist <laughs> like and we were kids we did not know you know that teachers could like do wrong we just thought you know we were kids and we're socialized to believe that whatever the teacher does is right and you just sit there and you shut up and you apologize if you you know misbehaved or whatever but i remember this one teacher um he was like mad at these two boys in our class who were Punjabi and he paused the whole class just to be like all you kids are messed up and all you boys especially are messed up because your fathers are Punjabi and they don't teach you guys how to behave and all this stuff and we were just like what like he doesn't even know our dads. Like, <laughs> like how <laughs> would we like making these assumptions about our family, but we didn't know what to do or say. I just, I remember hearing all that and absorbing it and just saying nothing and not talking about it when I went home or anything like that. Cause it was just like, whatever, like it's another day at school and your teacher just yelled at you and it is what it is. And I think it took me like years later to realize like, oh, that teacher was completely like inappropriate and he was racist and he hated us for being brown. And he taught at a completely Punjabi school and hated Punjabi children, Um, and that was like one of my motivations to like you know go into teaching in the first place was like being a Punjabi face in a sea of Punjabi students is important. They don't Punjabi kids don't always get to see someone like them at the front of the classroom, and it has a huge effect I think like on on their emotional well-being and their sense of self when you are constantly the other in the room and you are not you know you're not a part of the conversation in that rooted way.
1: There's an article that I read back in uh, 2015 by a writer named uh, Noreen Ahmed and she talked about how uh, racialized communities, so places like Brampton, uh, places like Scarborough uh, here in the Toronto area, they get dubbed with the title of being a ghetto just by yeah. the nature of the the population dynamic in those areas. Um, Does that exist in places like Surrey and Abbotsford?
2: I think that perception like totally exists. And especially about the neighborhood that I live in. Um, West Abbotsford is seen as like, as like that, like the ghetto um, in the eyes of a lot of white people here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had like really weird run-ins with white people who perceive our neighborhood to be like that. Um, Which is like very weird for me because like this is like where I grew up. It's, you know, a place where you see like kids running up and down the streets and like grandparents like chilling you know at the park and families that have known each other for years and years and years and it's just like very weird to see like white people freak out about our neighborhood Mm -hmm. um I remember I used to work at the mall and there was this like elderly white woman who I worked with and we were talking about like you know just where we live and stuff and I was like oh I live in West Abbotsford and she was like aren't you scared and I'm like what do you mean (laughs) like what are you talking about (laughs) and she was like oh you know isn't it dangerous there and I'm like there's not like people shooting up and down the street like like this is a a neighborhood just like yours (laughs) it just happens to be that um you know there were some incidents here like randomly and sporadically like throughout the years and then white people decided that they they decided this is just a bad neighborhood because of things have happened um but it's not the case um in any like practical sense So I just remember like she was like so horrified that I lived in West Abbotsford and then she was like oh well it must be fine for someone like you Mm -hmm. and then I was like I to this day like I don't understand what she meant by that like was was she trying to say like oh you're Punjabi you blend and you'll be fine like no one's gonna rob you (laughs) like (laughs) um this is the part of the city that is for those people (laughs) um and we are just like we are just them like in our own cordoned off area and it it's just weird. It's like, it's a very strange dynamic. Like, again, this is a city where there is a huge Nagarikitan and there's, you know, Punjabi's everywhere. But when I would go to the mall, I would still get like glared at and stared down and people would look at me like they've never seen like a, this thought before in their life. Every single time I would, it was just the strangest thing. And like, you know, the like last month I went to a coffee shop um, in Abbotsford. I walk in and there i swear to god like three tables of white people just like stop their conversations to look at me and then watch me sit down and once i was sitting down they went back to conversations but it was just like like an anomaly and just walked in and they'd never seen anything like it before <laughs> it's just it's a weird place and you have to kind of like be here to like just experience the strangeness of it
0: we've heard a little bit about how how bc was for your parents and for you growing up how was the household like how what are your first memories of growing up in your household with your family like
2: um so i have always grown up with um my baba and Bibi at home and then um when i was super little like our cousins lived lived with us um and i think um yeah so i would have been like three years old when i moved out um she got married so it was like always my grandparents um my cousins my parents um, and then my younger brother then my sister was like born like way later um so it was like us at home okay so what's coming to mind now is like this Punjabi corner store like right by our old house um on the other end of town and I just like vividly remember um going to this corner store um and just like the sense of like connection that we felt like with the family there um I remember the basement of our old house. <laughs> I remember, like, being with all my cousins and having just that, like, that joy of, like, being around, like, a bunch of kids all the time, um, which I think is, like, a very, like, Punjabi thing. Like, to get to your yeah,
1: well, I, I, like,
2: I was just cousins. thinking like, about...
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I'm just thinking about the same thing, like, same way I grew up. So, like, me and my sister and my uncle live literally the next block over, so I, I would see my two cousins regularly, and then... Like we had other cousins that lived not too far away. So we were always around cousins, like from a young age.
0: Yeah, even yeah. for me, even for me, it was like because, uh, well, obviously I was born and raised in Norway. So there we ne- we never had no immediate family, but we had family friends. And, and there was uh, like a certain set of fa- a certain set of families who who kind of raised all of us to be- treat each other like cousins, even though none of us were blood relatives and it was the same thing it was like you know on the weekends uh we'd we'd all lay out good day in the basement and all the kids would play together and it it's a it, it's great coming up in like a community vibe and just knowing that you have people that that are like you right and 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 that was very important especially for me where where, where it wasn't like it wasn't like, you could just walk outside and see somebody that looks like you every day, right? So a sense of community at a young age is very can be very important to a person.
2: I feel that. And I think, like, when you say that because you guys didn't have a bunch of cousins around you, like, you kind of built that family. Like, I think that's such a, like, Punjabi thing. Like, we, we like, thrive as, like, people in community with one another. Um, and I think, like, I've heard that from so many people, like, that grew up in that way where you just try to find, like, your found family. Um, and to to feel that sense of the connection with others because um, it's such a strange thing to be like just you know planted in a new world essentially um, and try to like you know thrive in isolation like it it just it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily work um, so I think that's like so beautiful and that also makes me think of like how like things have obviously changed a lot now so I don't know if you guys experienced this in Brampton but like I think. In Abbotsford and Surrey, now it's like there are so many Punjabis everywhere that no one really gets excited when they see another Punjabi person or no one like really acknowledges one another on the streets. And then I found it so interesting when I went to somewhere like Ireland where the Punjabi population is like so tiny and tight knit, where like people were so nice. Like I just needed a ride somewhere and someone's like, hey, like don't even like worry about it. Like I'm going to drive you there. And it was just like, wow, like y'all like really like come through for each other um, because like you were all. That you have, um, whereas like I feel like it's that sense of like community is a little different here now. It's like there in pockets, but like I think we almost like we almost take for granted the fact that there is like a familiar face always around us.
0: Yeah, like uh, uh, like I've even shared this on uh, on on this podcast before. Like I, I had this moment when I first moved to Canada to Brampton where i i uh i used to go for walks with my parents through the park and i used to say (laughs) any baba that used to walk past me because that was in norway you'd rarely see a baba so you know you would take time to talk to everybody right So when we did that, I did that here, the Baba literally looked at me like I was like an alien. He's like, (laughs) why is this little kid saying Sassigal to me, right? And yeah, like eventually, like he said, hi and stuff like that. But I was just like, even my parents laughed at it afterwards. And they're just like, you you know, but like now that I'm older, I understood the circumstances. It's it's the larger the community becomes, the more the less tight knit you can become because you don't you're not. You don't depend on each other as much because you are not such a minority anymore.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it.
1: Yeah, there's a conversation we had in season two when we had uh, Laveline on the show. And she was saying, you know, as our communities grow and become more rooted in a certain place, like we, to some extent, we lose that sense of community and we lose that sense of, you know, wanting to connect with others and in a sense it almost becomes like you were talking about a little bit earlier where it almost can become a little bit of self-hatred and we see that a lot with like international students for example where people that have been in a certain neighborhood longer will look back at the people that are new there and say like oh look what they're doing look at their behavior look at their clothing like we start to pick apart the way that we were just a few decades ago but now we kind of feel like because we've been here a little bit longer like we've somehow advance past that, like that's not us anymore.
2: Yeah. And that's that's so it's the whole thing is just like so strange to me because I I see like a lot of that like online and like in all these different spaces. And I just it it baffles me that people can that Punjabis cannot see themselves and other Punjabis when it's like, you know, that that was your dad 30 mm-hmm. years ago. 20 years ago. Like those that that's you know, your found fa- that is essentially like what you, what position your family was in. You know learning English and like navigating a new you know society and how would you feel if someone like talked to your dad the way that you're talking to this kid or like not talking to this kid like it just doesn't make sense to me um and I just I it makes me very sad but I also like wonder like how we as kids who grew up here can like challenge that and like work with international students and work with new immigrants to like you know bridge these gaps because it's it's so unnecessary
1: uh, just shifting gears a little bit. Um, so you are known as a, a poet, a writer, and illustrator. Uh, what was the, I guess, were arts encouraged in the house? Or did your parents engage in any arts? Or how did you first get exposed to these art forms? And what kind of drew you to them?
2: Growing up, like, I was not, you know, that interested in writing. I think I was more excited about reading so I remember like you know being a little kid and my mom reading a story to me every night before bed and like that was just like a normal like part of like our daily routine and it was like something that just like I think it grounded me and like you know set the tone for like the next day as well and it was something that made me really really excited to just like get into bed um and I think from there like I just kept reading um I remember reading you know books like Harry Potter wherever i wherever i was so i would take like you know a novel to the book to the grocery store and walk into like walls and stuff (laughs) (laughs) looking at at where i was going but i was just like so excited as a kid to just like read a book and like get lost in a story um to like my parents annoyance when i would not stop reading (laughs) um and then i guess like in high school like i I was, like, interested in, like, writing. Um, it was more, like, just to, like, you know, pass my classes at times. Um, and I happened to just, like, be good at English, but I didn't think much of it. Um, so I would I would write, but just for the sake of, like, school, things. So it wasn't really until university that I started thinking, like, hey, like, maybe this is something that I should really think a little harder about. Um, I remember, like, when I first got into university, um, my friend and I were just discovering spoken word. So we would, like, go on YouTube and just, like, find... Um, spoken word poets and like, pa- you know, send each other the videos and just like be in awe of like this new art form that we'd found. And I remember at the exact same time, I was also like getting very like interested in like Sikh activism. Um, I started learning about, um, you know, Sikh political prisoners and like, you know, Punjab issues and and all those kinds of things. And it was kind of like a new world was open to me. And like, I there was just like so much that I was trying to like learn and absorb um, in a short amount of time um i think it was like second year of university where i realized that like i wanted to actually like put some of like you know these reflections into action and like host um an open mic style event or um or something along those lines to bring people together and talk about the issues that like we were starting to like learn about so we wanted to host an event related to sick political prisoners um but do so like through the lens of art so spoken word um music um visual art all sorts of stuff we just want to like pull it all together and and bring it to life but like bear in mind that like we were kids <laughs> like like we had never like hosted anything before we didn't know how to like you know book a venue or like set up mics we didn't know what we were doing <laughs> um for all intents and purposes <laughs> we were just like a bunch of kids who were like really excited about like this like this stuff um and we thought like you know let's just try and see what happens if we like try to pull this stuff together um so I remember like in that in that school year especially like second year year of university I had like four or five classes that I was taking but I was like not remotely interested in those classes like all I cared about was like planning these events and like learning more and all that kind of stuff so like I in the background behind like trying to like host my first event I was like failing my classes um because I just didn't care (laughs) like at the time like I just I was just, like, so excited about, like, what I was learning outside of school that, like, school, I just could not focus on, like, what was happening in school. Um, so we, we gave that event a shot. We did our best. We, like, um, ended up, like, booking, like, a, a large auditorium in Surrey and being able to, like, have um, artists from, like, you know, BC and Toronto and california come through um that was also like you know where you guys came to our event for the first time um and where we met for the first time it was um where a lot of like seeds were planted for like you know um the art scene here and um you know further projects that we would do later um so it was a learning experience (laughs) like to say the least but like the event happened
0: don't sell yourself short that was an amazing show Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) like i'm
0: I'm really impressed with what you if like now hearing that that was your guys first show like that that was a really well put together show
2: i'm really glad to hear that (laughs) like from from, like an outside perspective (laughs) because i just remember like being terrified (laughs) Like, like not knowing what would happen i remember we we had um a bunch of mics that we rented and what i learned from that event is a mic will go out, (laughs) like, without a doubt, like, your mics will stop working, so you better know what to do with your mics, (laughs) because, like, I remember, like, that we had, like, these wireless mics that just randomly decided to stop working, like, while you guys were on stage, (laughs) and it was, like, very stressful for me (laughs) sitting there, (laughs) um, but, yeah, no, it was, it was a really, like, beautiful thing to happen, um, and, like, it was also, like, the beginning of, like, okay, so we were able to do this, so, like, now what can we do next, um, but, like, I said, like, I was also, like, in the background while well, no one was aware like just struggling to like you know stay on track with school and everything um so that was also the first time that i publicly like performed on a stage um and i didn't really think that i was like qualified to get on a stage and perform. <laughs> um i was just kind of like okay well like i love spoken word um as a listener let's see if i can like you know bring this to life in front of an audience so um, amid being like, you know, s- dressed out and like running around trying to make everything happen at the event, like I was like, okay, I need to pause right now and get on this stage and stand behind this mic and, and share this like piece that I wrote. Um, and that was like the beginning that was, um,
0: what fun- was that, fun- uh, what was that feeling like when, uh, when, you- when you, when you had finished and you walked off stage and you had, n- the- you know, you had faced your fear and-, and it wasn't all that, how did that feel like?
2: It was like the greatest feeling of relief. <laughs> like, like, cause when I, when you're performing, like a lot of the times, like you can't see the audience cause the stage lights are so bright. So I was almost like talking to myself, not knowing who's looking, who's paying attention, who's feeling what. Um, and all these words were like coming out of my mouth somehow. <laughs> and I somehow didn't stumble over them. And then you hear this applause and then you just like leave. And it's like, it's happened and it's done. And it was just like, okay, like it's, it's th- it's this beautiful sense of like relief and like, okay, that wasn't so bad. Maybe I can do this again. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Like it was like, wow, like that was like cool, <laughs> like I think I can do this again. Like that that was not like, you know, all my worst nightmares like put together.
1: Yeah. So it, it sounds like in those early days and it was just, you know, a love for the art and wanting to share something and spreading ideas and just following that passion regardless of whether you felt like what you knew like what you were doing.
2: Yeah. That's so, like that's literally what it was. I think. Even when I was, you know, ex- so excited about like poetry that I wanted to start studying it in university, it was never this like thought in my mind, like this is going to be my career. Um, it was just like, I love this. And I happen to be able to take a class in it. And um, I'm, you know, dealing with two issues at once here by like, you know, getting through my ma- my, my bachelor's degree and doing the thing that I love. So why do not I just like do these classes? Um, so that's literally what it was. So like, I just, I kept taking like creative writing courses in university, um, even though like my intention was always to become a teacher um, I just thought like it was just fun so I'm gonna keep doing this <laughs> um, so once I once I graduated from undergrad it was in English but I went into teaching um, finished my teaching degree became a teacher um, started teaching fourth grade um, just a few years ago um, and then when I graduated from my program though like I had I knew in my mind that like somewhere within me like there was like a book of poems like I've been I had been sharing poetry after you know after Azadi for you know years um just on social media and my Instagram things like that um and I knew that like eventually like somewhere along the way like there could be a book that comes out of me and I I know that I have the capacity to do that but to do that but I I felt like It was just like one of those things that's gonna happen like one day whatever one day is (laughs) like it's not gonna happen tomorrow or next year or whatever it'll just be like some far off thing that i like dream about um but i would never feel like today was the day to like start working on the book or things like that um so once i i graduated from my teaching program i knew that between the time when i graduated and when i got into a classroom that would be like my only window really to like really figure out what I wanted to do with this book because like teaching would like occupy all of my energy so I remember like that that winter after graduating I just like locked myself in my bedroom for two three weeks straight and just like started pulling together all these pieces like some of the poems were like things that I had like just kind of stored in a folder um just you know for that you know "Quote unquote," one day when I was ready for a book, and some of the stuff was pe- were pieces that I had already shared on Instagram, um, and there were also like you know spaces in the book for new things as well that weren't yet written. So it was like kind of an amalgamation of like all these different you know pieces, years and years of work, um, and like just planning for like what I, what I wanted to what I wanted to see this book become outside of like what I'd already done. Um, so I pulled together, like, the first draft, um, went to, you know, went into teaching, taught for a few months, had spring break. Spring break was, like, again, like, another tiny, like, window of time to, like, keep honing this thing. I think I finished the, the first draft that spring break. So it was a total of, like, you know, several years of poems, but, like, one month maybe of putting it all together um, and writing new stuff. So I, I had someone that was, like, willing to show this manuscript draft to their publisher. And I was, like, awestruck that they even, like, cared enough to, like, want to, like, do that. So that was, like, my, my motivation at the time to, like, try to finish it. Um, but I truly did not know what I was doing. <laughs> like, like, I didn't know, like, anything about the publishing industry. I didn't know, like, what an agent was. I didn't know, like... You know how like, you know, how an auction works when you when you send your manuscript off to a bunch of editors. Like I didn't know anything. Like I was really like just like bright eyed and bushy tailed entering this industry. Like, let's just see what happens. Um so around the like it was very like cool that like around the time when I had just finished that first draft, um a literary agent followed me on Instagram. And I remember noticing that, like, oh that's interesting. Um, I don't know what to do with this, you know knowledge that they're following me but like that's cool um and at the same time on the other end like my my manuscript was now sitting in front of an editor um who was interested in it um and I remember being told like okay like you need to think about an agent you need to um maybe step back from just like trying to negotiate this thing on on your own and see if you can have someone represent you so I paused and I thought, okay, this this lady followed me on Instagram. Um, maybe I should just message her. <laughs> like I I was just like <laughs> email her, like DM her, like she followed me first, like I don't know what to do. <laughs> so I I still cannot believe that I did this, but like I I DM this literary agent, <laughs> which is like not how you're supposed to do things. Like you're supposed to like, you know, do a very like formal official query email. Um, with, like, your proposal formatted perfectly to, like, their specifications and all this stuff, but, like, I freaking DM'd her, um, <laughs> and I was just like, hey, like, I, I, um, I know that you're not representing poetry, um, but I was wondering if there's anyone at your agency that you think would be interested in representing me, and, like, I got so lucky, like, she was like, hey, like, um, you know, I... I do represent poetry and my website, my website is just not updated. Um, feel free to send me an email and like, let's go from there. Um, so literally the next day after that, she, she and I talked on the phone, um, and she was interested in my manuscript. So within like a week of that, that, like phone call, like we had signed a contract together. And again, like looking back at that now, it's like, I, I didn't even like, Um, question anything like I was just like cool like she she wants to work with me it's amazing um and I got like really really lucky because like she's an amazing agent that um represents a lot of really cool poets um and she's really good like in this specific genre in this field um but it could have gone very differently (laughs) like because I was just like so excited about things um but again it's like a huge like learning curve and and that's why like when I see like anyone else getting into this industry now I'm always like okay like I need to like tell you every single thing that I know um, because I had to figure out a lot of things on my own and I did not at all know or learn any of these things while I was you know doing creative writing in university like none of my teachers or professors taught me any of this kind of stuff like the business side of of this industry so um, I'm always like I need to just like pass on this knowledge however I can.
1: It, it's dope. We were literally having this conversation uh, right before you joined us on the call. But um, so Magic's mom is actually a poet. So oh. she, yeah, yeah, she writes poems in Punjabi. And it's something that she's done for many, many years. And he's encouraging her to write a book. But it's just kind of one of those things where she's putting it off and saying, one day I'll get to it. One day I'll get to it. Um. So I guess what what advice would you give to anybody listening who kind of has that, you know, that one day mindset about a book that they want to do or any project that they want to begin. Um, I guess what what insight can you provide to them?
2: So like, I'm the kind of person where, like I said, like I was just waiting for this magical day to come along where like all the pieces like fit, where it just like felt right. Um, and that's definitely not how things worked out. Um, I had to just, like be like okay like this is happening right now (laughs) like I feel like if I didn't like walk myself in that room that winter there would not have been a manuscript and I could have like dreamed about it forever and I would have still been dreaming today um but I went ahead and did it and the thing is like in my mind I was like I'm not ready I want to like hone my skills to like a certain degree like I want to be at a certain level of like craft um and those skills did take time to develop but I had to do the work to develop them Um, like it didn't, it wouldn't have just happened without me sitting down and being like, okay, this book has to happen. So I better start working on my skills. Um, after I wrote that first poetry book, I, I had a second project, which is still to be released. Um, and that was the first novel, um, in like a more traditional format that I have ever written. Um, and that was another thing where I was like, okay, I'll write a novel, but like one day (laughs) and I had to just sit there and be like, okay, this novel is happening right now. Um, if you don't do it then then there's gonna be problems so you're writing a novel and i was like um very 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 scared (laughs) the whole time but i was like doing it and that's the thing like i just needed to be like i'm terrified right now i don't know if i can do it but i'm gonna keep doing it anyways um and that's how like that you know that idea of one day became like that day
1: um Mm -hmm. i just had
2: to sit there and be like okay i'm terrified but we're still gonna do it it's not gonna i'm not going to when I feel in my mind body and soul that I am a amazing author or I'm an amazing prose writer it's not going to work like that um this opportunity is sitting in my hands right now is not going to be here tomorrow so you better learn
0: <laughs> yeah that's a, it's very important that you share that because no matter what that fear is going to be there jumping into anything new is always there's always going to be doubt right and like me and noise talked about this earlier when I was talking about my mom and it's like it's like doubt is will kill a lot of people's dreams because you are doubting yourself before ever even trying. And the beauty of a lot of people finding their passions is they just dove into it and realized that the joy that you come out of it with is 10 times greater than any doubt you had going into it. So it's, it's very beautiful that you don't fear that uh, you don't fear showing people that you were scared jumping into this because that is ultimately what a lot of us a lot of us have to deal with when uh, when engaging in whatever we're passionate with
2: I feel that and I think like I think back to those creative writing courses I took while I was in my undergrad um and in those classes like you would see like a lot of writers who are very much like that you could tell they're nervous about their own work so that instead of like you know just working on their own craft they're gonna like lash out at other writers um and be like your stuff isn't right yet and this and that and I just remember like sometimes stepping into those spaces and being like terrified to get feedback because I knew that people would like rip my stuff apart um so like when I think about like what it means to like be a, a writer in community with other people it's like We're all terrified. (laughs) Like like that's like you need to just bear in mind that everyone is terrified. Like every no one wants a bad review. Like everyone is sitting there at their laptop, like doubting the fact that they can be a writer. Like there is no one sitting there, like maybe maybe like JK Rowling and Stephen King are like chilling. I don't know. But like the rest of us are sitting here terrified all the time, you know, in self-doubt because like we've been socialized to like be hypercritical of ourselves. Um but and but when I get into those like headspace when I get into that headspace of like you know thinking maybe i'm not good enough at this maybe i need to pause and like you know come back to this in a few years like i have to remind myself like is the world really better off without my voice in it and the answer is no so therefore i should keep writing (laughs) like it's just like it's that simple like i don't think that the world is better off in the absence of like this one voice so i need to just keep doing my best to like you know hone and elevate you know my craft to the point where I feel a little more confident but also know that like in the process of learning like I still deserve to be here I think we all we we tend to like really downplay like our our worthiness of like the the crafts that we pursue um because we're socialized to do so for like so many different reasons um but that's what it comes down to for me
1: yeah it's like you're you're never gonna feel ready and you're never gonna feel not scared but those can't be barriers to getting started
2: yeah exactly
1: um so with, with your work like with a lot of your poetry and with your book as well you talk on a lot of heavy topics from uh, mental health to intergenerational trauma um domestic violence sexual abuse and things like that when you're immersed with such heavy topics does it ever become difficult like do you ever feel like you need to, to take a step back when you're just surrounded by such you know Things that can be traumatic when you're when you're exposed to them all the time.
2: That's a good question. I think um, I think it used to be like really tough because like I didn't know how to like balance my sense like my self care, and I think that's something that I've been like getting better at over the years. Um, being able to like you know sit within a reflection, then be like okay like now we're like letting this sit, and I'm gonna go like do yoga or do something else or meditate or like read or write or draw or whatever it is, and like kind of like let my mind go elsewhere, I think that um, it can be like heavy when you sit in those thoughts for a prolonged period of time. Sometimes, you know, I would, I would write a poem and it's like a really heavy topic and I would sit there and like cry afterwards. And then it, I just had to like get that out of my system and be like, okay, like now we're standing up and now we're gonna go do the next thing. And like, I think what, even like, even though like a lot of the work is like very heavy, what is healing about it is when you see people Who can relate and feel healed by that you know by that thought being articulated or by by the fact you know that that this thing has now been said out loud and they can breathe a little easier because like now a part of like their story is being represented um so while it's heavy like i think there's a lot of healing in being able to articulate as well because the thing is like articulating is like the the end result right like i think that we go through a lot of the stuff first and live through it and have it like sit within us in like a very like quiet kind of like bubbling toxicity and i think that sometimes when we're able to just like let it out that's when we're able to like now put it down and step away so i don't necessarily feel like talking about it is like the hardest part i think it's like living through some of the stuff that's like a little more rough i think like Mm -hmm. you know the way i The way I relate to social media now, it's not necessarily the subject matter that, like, really is hard about it. I think it's, like, the strangers who, you know, see you writing about the heavy stuff um, and just, like, will just, like, troll you, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, people that just, like, don't respect the fact that you have, like, shared, like, a part of yourself or, like, you know, and have a, a very heavy idea and just want to, like, kind of disrespect your space or um you know belittle you or like you know try to like stop you from speaking i think that kind of stuff is like what really like bothers me about sharing um but i don't necessarily think it's like the the subject matter that really gets me down
1: and yeah that's that's a great point you touched on because like within stick and punjabi communities there aren't a whole lot of voices that are talking about mental health they're talking about domestic violence or alcoholism so you know thank you for doing the work that you do and kind of bringing light to these topics when you know they they don't really exist on a platform for our community
2: yeah I feel that and I, I think like we're seeing so many different initiatives come up like you know just in the past few years where like these these topics that would have been like impossible to communicate about just a few years ago like we're like in like real time like we're seeing so much change like within our generation it's like it's exciting to see that um, and it's it's a beautiful thing to be able to like push open a door because like you put your, you know, you stick your foot in the door and now someone else is able to like push it even further. Um, and that, that initial like pain of having to push it open in the first place is like done. Like now people just keep, get to keep like building on that work.
1: Is there ever that feeling where you're writing a poem or you're working on a piece and you might think to yourself, oh, I, I shouldn't put this out in public. Like whether it, it touches on a topic that might hit home or is is personal or you might be worried about how it might be received by audiences does that thought ever cross your mind as you're working on something
2: literally all the time (laughs) i think like um maybe when i was younger i had less anxiety around this kind of stuff um, because i was very new to like sharing and putting myself out there on the internet i think like with time um having experienced like a lot of like weirdness on the internet like i'm a little like I'm a little more hesitant to like share, um, share certain things. Um, And it's unfortunate because like, it shouldn't be the case. Like I shouldn't feel like I have to like censor myself and um, not be able to like speak to like topics that, that I really want to speak to. Um, But it's also like, it, it becomes like a safety and mental health concern at times too, when you have like people, you know, looking at you from behind a screen where you can't see them and, but they can see you and they can see like everything about you and they can kind of like stare into your soul almost because they have your your poems in front of them. Um, and like I said before, just like disrespecting your space and like the fact that you want to share and kind of, um, you know, treating you as an Instagram account rather than a person. Like I've experienced a lot of that in the past few years where people will just like see me as my Instagram handle <laughs> and not like the person sitting behind the screen um, and feel like they can, you know, make all sorts of like judgment calls and comments and, Um, assumptions based on what they see in an Instagram account. But it's, like, it's weird because people don't get that, like, our Instagram accounts or our social media presence is, like, one-tenth of, like, who we are as people. (laughs) Like, we are, Mm -hmm. like, human beings outside of all this stuff. Um, And we're not just, like, you know, um, figureheads for, like, an account. Um, So I've had to, like, work really hard to, like, create a healthier space for myself. Cause there's definitely been times where like, I was just like, why am I sharing? Why am I like pouring my heart out through my work um, when there are people who are just like devaluing what I'm doing to like this degree um, and making it so hard for me to like exist um, in these spaces. So I've like, I, I've i definitely gone through like thought processes of like, is it worth it to like share all this or is it worth it to speak to these topics? Um, should I just like not be here? <laughs> Um, but in the end, like, I've, I've always decided to, like, stay because, um, regardless of the fact that, like, there are are these trolls that are, like, pissed off about, like, you know, some of the stuff that I speak to, um, there are so many, like, young women, especially who have, like, reached out to me, you know, telling me, like, just connections that they felt with, like, pieces that I've written, um, that have just, like, surprised and awed me (laughs) in, like, the most amazing ways, like. I remember this one woman telling me how she read one of my poems, um, which I posted and didn't think much of. I just kind of put it out there on the internet and and let it be. I didn't look back at that poem even like twice um, for a while. Um, But she told me that she, you know, she read that poem one day and it was the courage that she needed to like leave her abuser. And she left her abuser the same day she read that poem. And it's just like stuff like that where I'm like, okay, like this is why I'm here. Um, as, As hard as it is when you have like these like random strangers, like tearing apart your existence, like they're, there is so much beauty in being able to like share this work.
0: Words are a very powerful thing, and you know it. Like you said, it's uh, at times we can not even think about what we're doing because, as artists, we are just conveying emotions, but we don't realize that, you know, it, it it can it can spark something in people, right? And it's that's what words did for you when you were reading as a young child. That's what music and books did for us, and even cartoons it's it it opens up the world to you right and 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 us as as artists um we we have a sense of responsibility that that we have to put out we have to put out our truth, right? Because ultimately, we don't understand how much value is within our own truth until we put it out there. And like you said, is until you see um, how other people benefit through it, we don't really realize how powerful it is, right? But with our music, there's there's those stories that kind of stay with you and that pushes you through all the things that we do struggle with as artists like the comments and the people who can just brush over things that you spend your whole lifetime working mm-hmm. towards. Yeah. But but it, yeah. It, it, it's a strong reminder though that that words uh, you know they they really do heal.
2: I feel that. And I think like I think back to like when I first started sharing on Instagram like I, I remember having a private Instagram account where I think there were like 300 people following me and being terrified by the thought of like taking my account off private because I just I was just a private person (laughs) like I didn't like like putting you know my work out there or like the idea of putting my work out there for like the whole world to see um but when I did finally go ahead and like unprivate that account it was like this terrifying but also liberating thing where I was like I was like stepping into myself almost like I feel like I was just like hiding from like my own potential um by refusing to like you know let people actually be had to say um and when I decided that I was ready to like share it wasn't that you know my work was in my mind perfect it was just that I was giving myself a chance to grow in a public space and if I look back at that work that I first started sharing publicly which I was freaking out about like yeah like it definitely needed like a lot of like work and development but I don't regret the fact that like I shared those like you know, underdeveloped, like, pieces, um, because if I didn't, like, if I didn't put it out there in the first place, like, I wouldn't be able to, I would not be here at this point, where I have it, all of that, like, embodied into, like, a physical book.
1: Do you find, well, you you mentioned social media a few times um, over today's talk, Uh, do you find that there's a connotation around the term, you know, Instagram poet?
2: Oh, yeah, I think it's, so, The reason why I started sharing on Instagram in the first place was because I found it so interesting that, you know, for all these years, you know, before the advent of social media, there were like gatekeepers who decided what work was worthy of, you know, being published or, you know, what music was worthy of being heard or um, what visual art was worthy of being in a museum. And suddenly with social media, it's like all of us are able to put out our work without someone filtering our expression deciding like what is worthy and what's not so i thought this whole concept of just sharing your poetry on instagram was the coolest thing ever because like now it's like i don't need to wait for someone to decide that my my work is good enough i'm just going to put it out there and i get to like Like level of playing field yeah exactly and if you think about the fact that like these these industries um these gatekeepers are predominantly white um what does that like say then about the fact that like there are so many people of color that are now able to like you know push open their own doors by sharing on instagram and soundcloud and and youtube and all those kinds of things um so that's like why i came to instagram in the first place just the whole concept was like very cool to me um i think that people still cling to those notions of like hierarchy though without even realizing and that's why this whole concept of like an instagram poet exists because like someone wants to be like no you weren't approved by you know this publisher um or like this like um this board of like critics or whatever it is so therefore your expression is like less valid than someone who's been published in a traditional way and it's just like a very strange thing to me um because like there is like so much beauty in like in these forms of expression that are not typically white like i think about the fact that um you know if i write like a two-line poem someone's gonna be like oh that's insta poetry but like Mm -hmm. shakespeare wrote couplets but he's a dead white guy (laughs) do that (laughs) that's fine <laughs> because like we're conditioned to believe in our minds that like the expressions of like these people um, are more valuable because of the fact they're men and that they're white and they are considered canon or they're, they are the ones studied in university typically. Um, so it's like, we need to recondition our minds to like think about like capitalism and like how we view like, you know, ownership of art and what art is valuable um, because oftentimes it's like people are missing out on like beautiful work and thoughts because it, because they can't overcome the barrier of like their own like of their own judgment of like a new a new medium of expression.
1: Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier on about how when you were in university and trying to become a teacher, but you were still taking creative writing classes on the side. You didn't really think about you know making a career out of it. But now that you're in a position where you've you know transitioned from being a teacher to now being full time in the arts, I guess yeah. has has that changed your relationship to your art?
2: so i like i said like i never in a thousand years imagined that i could like work full-time as an author like that was just like not a thing that even occurred to me even as i was sitting there in university like writing novels like or like writing like you know the first chapter of my book like it never occurred to me that i could take this draft and hand it to a publisher and be like can i have a job kind of thing um because i just in my mind like i thought okay there are so many amazing authors out there. Why the hell would they publish me? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like this is a cool like chapter that I've written, but like, is it really worth pursuing? And like, you know, is there even like a door that is available to me? Um, am I good enough? So like, that's kind of like, that was my thinking at the time that what I was doing was not going to be enough to get the attention of like an industry that has like thousands and upon thousands of like authors knocking on its doors all the time. Um, so like now looking back where I'm sitting right now, where like I'm, I'm working full time from home, just like writing, I, I wish I could go back to my younger self and just be like, stop doubting yourself so hard. Like just like give yourself a little bit of credit, just like a little bit um, and trust that like, you know, what your, your work is valuable. Like that's what it was. I think that if I knew how valuable and precious my work is, I would have given it the respect it deserved and I would have like, know taking myself more seriously I would have probably looked into the process for getting an editor to like you know review your work and and I I think I just like downplayed my my craft to the point that like I didn't I didn't see where I could go with it and that's like the most unfortunate thing because like I didn't even give myself the chance to like imagine being an author um so like now whatever you know when i see someone that's like just starting on their writing i'm just like please god like like believe in yourself and like look into this in a serious way because this this could be a career if you want it to be a career like you need to you need to want it though um and you need to be able to to know, you need to know that you're going to have to put in the work you're going to have to be able to like hone your skills you're going to be you're going to have to sit there for hours upon hours developing your writing but if you want it it is possible i'm sitting here as like living evidence of it
1: that's dope. No, that's very, very well put. Um, so I think I think we are getting close to the end here. Um, so we, what we like to do with, with our show is, with every show we like to cap it off by having everybody on the on the call list one thing that they're grateful for. Uh, it could be a person, it could be an item, a possession. You could know the person, you might not know the person personally, but just any energy, I guess, that you want to honor and express gratitude for
2: Um, I'm, like, extremely grateful for my sister. Um, we're, like, in this very strange point in time <laughs> where we're all, like, locked in our houses. <laughs> um, and often, like, you know, as we're, like, sitting here at home, like, our, our mode of communication with, like, community is, like, our phones and social media and all that. But I think social media can also be, like, very overwhelming. Um, As I described earlier, like, it can just be, like, overwhelming when, like, you're just, like, scrolling through Twitter all day long and just, like, seeing a lot of people's negativity. So, but Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just grateful for my sister to be able to, like, disconnect from, like, the world um, and just, like, spend time with her. And before the whole quarantine began, like, I wasn't really, I was, like, all over the place with work, so I wasn't really able to spend as much time with my family. So I'm just grateful for, like, this time that I have. To be able to, like, reconnect.
1: Noise, what do you got? Um, I guess just along those lines. Um, I think when, when the lockdown first happened, and one thing that I saw a lot on Twitter was people saying things like, oh, man, I got to be in the same house as, like, my husband or my wife all day long. Like, how am I supposed to do this? And I'm just like, do you not like the person you're with? Like, I don't get it. Right? But, like, now that I've been home for like a month um you know with my wife it's been pretty awesome so i'm grateful to have her and similar to what you're saying with your sister like we've been able to uh connect in different ways like we make it a point to be more physically active to to go for walks or to exercise more or to like try new recipes together things like that so it's been it's been a really cool time to just connect um and take a break from just like the the day-to-day hustle and bustle that you get stuck in and yeah just like you know cultivate that relationship in in a different way so it's been it's been good
0: um mine are some uh it, it's kind of the same but um yeah I've been thankful for for being able to spend time like I like I've been doing a lot of walking because gotta find things to do so me and me and my wife have been going on a lot of walks with uh with our dog izzy and going down different trails and uh it's not like i never walked before but it feels like now because everything going on like you know like the random older white lady will say hi to me and stop and talk for a little bit so it's been I, i don't know i feel like people have been more open and more together i feel like in my community so it's in that sense it's been cool but um Yeah, I've been enjoying that, I've been going on a lot of bike rides, and uh, yeah, we've been trying a lot of new recipes, and other than that is, um, I'm thankful for technology, you know, like, imagine if we didn't have all these things, how, you know, how how crazy it would feel, like, you know, having the means of a laptop to do your work on, and do all the creative things you want to do, and keep in touch with your loved ones, and I've had to be, keep Skype conversations with my parents because I haven't seen them in about three, four months. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's great that I do get to see them and talk to them, but I'm, I'm definitely also missing them at this time.
1: Uh, okay, just before we wrap up, uh, Justin, is there any last comments or anything else that you'd like to say before we finish?
0: Um, when when can we uh, anticipate your novel? Like uh, maybe next year, the year after.
2: Yeah, so um, we are crossing our fingers um, and hoping next year, early sometime after January. That's so vague, <laughs> but like. <early laughs> it's early okay. Early
0: Trust me, I'm the worst with giving out dates for music. So don't stick to a permanent date. Just say around a certain time. And <laughs> that way you can't disappoint any fans.
2: So yeah, so um, it'll be early 2021. Um, okay. But the manuscript oh. is done and it's just got to be like bound and put into like a book. So I'm so excited.
1: Uh, so yeah, just to wrap up, just wanted to say uh, thanks, Justin, for jumping on the call with us. I uh, appreciate the insights and the experiences that you shared. And best of luck with the new book. Um, I know you you told me a little bit about it last time you were here. And I've been waiting for that since the the poetry collection dropped. So, yeah, looking forward to that.
2: Thanks, guys. I'm so excited for like, it to be out in the world. So that'll be another conversation you have to have <laughs> once it's out there.
1: Yes, for yeah, sure. definitely would love to have you back.
0: Yes, thank you for talking to us. And that has been another episode of Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay.